Great to, great to be here. Um, it's good to be anywhere, really, but this is our second to last Saturday night service ever, so if you, next week's our last one, last one, crazy, so if you really enjoy coming out when it's dark and cold and you're tired and it's dinner time, but you'd rather, you know, just sit here, um, you know, you got one more chance, one more chance, and then, then we move to Sunday morning, still here, just 9 a.m., so uh, looking, forward to, looking forward to that change. Um, also, want to remind you that branches are starting up soon, so if you haven't signed up for that, please do that. You do not want to miss it. It's a great way just to, just to find great people to do life with and to, to walk side by side. We all need it. We all need it. This is good for, you know, once in a while just to, to catch up and, and to gather like this, but branches is an opportunity for us to really go deeper with each other and, and talk about life. And so I encourage you to get in there and participate in that. Is there anything else I'm supposed to be saying? I don't know. Anything else coming up? I don't know. Other announcements? Uh, yeah, no, we did that one. Yeah, we got it together. We got all sorts of stuff. All right, I don't know. If there's anything else in there. Hey, read your, read your, if I get boring, yeah, read your, read your programs here. We got all sorts of good stuff in there. So um, I'm sorry, not if I get boring. When I get boring. When I get boring, you can, you can do that. So Anyway, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 1 uh, tonight. That's page, I think that's uh, 675. I think that's what it is. Or it's 56, no, I think it's 675. I think that's what it is. I don't know, something like that. Romans chapter 1. Anybody 675, is that right? 675, I got it. All right, I remembered. All right. As you're turning there, um, it's going to go back to my childhood for a moment. Back way early, it's an impressionable time, if you guys remember. Some of you, your childhood was a lot longer ago. Some of you, you're still kind of in it. Um, but there are memories that stick with us from childhood, things that, you know, we'll just remember for the rest of our life. And there's a memory that I have of, a, of when I was much younger. Um, we, come, we lived in sort of like a, a, I don't know if it was a colonial, I don't know, a duplex, a split level, I don't know what our house was called. But I, upstairs, we had an upstairs. And I would come downstairs and it's like the main floor. And I had to come down for school every day. My bedroom's upstairs. And as I'm coming downstairs every morning, um, there was the, this sight that I would see every, every morning. One would be, we'd have like, come down the stairs, would be a landing, and then two more steps. Now, on the landing, if you went to the right, was the, the living room. The living room was my mom's room. Do you understand? We didn't live there. <laughs> Nobody lived there. It had the couch that was incredibly uncomfortable. It was blue and green, had maybe some paisley on it. Nobody was allowed to sit on it, right? There was the piano was in there. It was the nice room, right? When we decorated Christmas trees, we got two. One went in there that she decorated, and one went in the, 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 the we called it the playroom. That's where we got to decorate. Our ornaments went there. My mom had her nice tree in, that we didn't touch that was in. Am I lying? Mom's here. Nope, not lying. All right, so that's it. We, I mean, it was the, the formal living room. Then you'd go down in the kitchen, you know, dining room. And then there was the, the playroom, which was like, that was the dog room, right? It's where the dogs hung out. That's where, we, that's, where, that's where we just, that's where the TV was and the couch. And that's where everybody was, and that's kind of where life happened in there. And so I'd pass those two rooms. And as I'd come down the stairs, my mom would be in her living room, because she would go in there uh, with her tea. And uh, my dad would be in the playroom, um, with his coffee, all right, and that's every single morning. Come down, mom's in the living room with her tea, and dad's in the playroom in a brown, I mean, dirty recliner, two dogs, probably both in the recliner with him somehow, you know, dog hair everywhere, it didn't matter. And what they had in common was that they both had out a Bible and a journal, okay? It was a memory that I will never, it's just, 
every morning. I mean, just years coming downstairs. And there's mom, there's dad. You know, I didn't talk to him. I would just recognize it, right? I may have grunted, something like that, but that was about it. Um, but I'll just, you don't forget that. And at some point, my parents got me a journal. I, I, I was given a journal at some point, and I, you know, I'm like, oh, I know what I'm supposed to do with this. I've, I already had all sorts of Bibles, you know, and your parents are pastors. You get all sorts of Bibles. So I'd, I had the little kid's Bible, and then I had the, the cartoon Bible, and then I had the, the young student Bible for teens, and it was cool. And, you know, you get all those Bibles all this time. And then, um, I, but I got a journal. I'm like, it's in the beginning. I, I maybe, like, wrote, like, a prayer in it, and then, you know, it would be, like, a week or two. I'd go back, and I'd maybe, like, write a sentence or two. And that's kind of how it started. Um, and it wasn't much. Um, but over time, I began to you know, note a little bit more what happened. Uh, today was a cool day. This happened. I'd kind of journal in it a little bit. Um, and eventually, I found myself turning somewhat into my parents, um, inevitably, and in that I was writing almost every day. Um, but the difference is I didn't write, like, early in the morning. As I remind you, last week, mornings and me are not on speaking terms. Um, so uh, I, I would write, you know, whenever I was coherent. Um, I've now been writing in those journals for 30 plus years, it's crazy, something around 30 years. Um, and I've got, if you come in my office, you'll see stacks of just journals from through the years. And I'm always about to finish up another one, and Pastor Kevin got me one for Christmas, so it's timely, so I'm ready to open up a new one. Um, but as we entered into this new year, I felt God kind of impress upon my heart, you know, year of awakening, all this kind of stuff, that it was time to start sharing some of that writing. Um, and so if some of you are aware, if you're on Facebook, you know, if you're not on Facebook, you don't know, it doesn't matter. But I've started a little Facebook page where I'm going to weekly, the goal is weekly, that I will share some of these writings. Um, and uh, what happens is that our offices are over on Union Street, and most days I walk into the office, and the lake is right there in town center. And so I'll, you know, walk around the lake once or twice. And I've seen some of you there often, you know, Nick and, you know, Coco usually walking around, you know, he's on his phone call and we say hi and we talk for a minute or two. But as I'm, j I just, no phone, no, you know, I'm not, I'm just out. I'm no music. I'm just walking and just listening. It's a good way to just say before I get into the office, before all that stuff, you know, I've already done my morning routine where I've read and I'm just sort of letting God speak. And it's just, and as things come to me, you know, I just think about it. Um, usually go in the office and then maybe I'll write. So I'm calling this page uh, a walk around the lake. That's what I titled it. So if you'd like to, if you'd like to read it, it's on Facebook. It's a blog. Um, but I tell you all that not to get followers on Facebook. I, <laughs> that's not that's not the purpose of this. I really don't care if you read or not. Don't read. Um, I just have to write. Um, but I tell you that because what those I've written two posts so far, and what those have been um, connect very much to what I want to share tonight. See, last Monday night um, during a it was the last two Mondays, two Mondays ago, um, during a football game in Cincinnati, there was this crazy experience. Any, most of you aware of the story that happened in Cincinnati? So uh, it, it, was, it was very scary. Um, this, a football player uh, uh, named DeMar Hamlin on the, uh, the Bills, normal play, didn't look like anything out of the ordinary, really didn't. I mean, there's some violent plays in the NFL. It did not look anything out of the ordinary. He tackles somebody. He stands back up. And then he just falls down again. Turns out, it's a freak thing, seems like, hit him in the right spot. He had cardiac arrest on the spot. There were EMTs that kind of recognized it, run out. I mean, they were doing chest compressions on him on the field. I mean, people were like, don't know, is this guy going to live? It was, it was really scary. I mean, 
it's what I think what makes it stand out is that it's something that was collectively experienced by so many people. You know, there's thousands of people in the stadium, but there's there's about a million. It's Monday Night Football, so there's a there's millions of people watching on 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 TV. So it's a a collective experience that we shared, where we're all like, "Oh no, did we just watch somebody die, like during a game?" And uh, you know, as as it unfolded, it was it was it was scary. They stopped the game, and didn't replay. You know, just just no, we're done. We're going home. You know, nobody knew what to do. It was it was a crazy week. Um, and after the doctors, he now he, he stabilized. He was kind of in this coma in, in the hospital. Doctors weren't sure if he was going to have any you know, long-term um, uh, brain damage or anything like that. And after a few days, he began to, to stir, to wake up. And when he did, uh, the doctors were monitoring him. He was on a breathing machine, you know, oxygen. As he grew more alert, he kind of indicated that he wanted to, to say something. He couldn't say anything, so they handed him a clipboard. And he writes on the clipboard three words, and he writes this down, Did we win? <laughs> like, like, I mean, really, really, and it was such a significant moment because for for the medical you know community there they're they're sitting there understanding okay, yes this guy is back, he understands fully like okay he's home he's here this was good his mind is good you know it's an answer to so many prayers it was an amazing amazing thing it was but then the doctors had a response which was like the Hollywood script right. And they said to him, yes, Damar, you've won. You've won the game of life. I was like, oh, man. That's, like, seriously, this is, like, storybook stuff, right? And as I reflected on that, I had lots of thoughts. And so my last two writings, if you've read, I wrote about some of those things. But there's one thing that I felt that as I was just kind of thinking about this, that God put on my heart specifically to share with our church. Not a writing, not something for just the community or just for whoever wants friends or whoever's reading it, but something specifically about this story because it's sort of captured a lot of our attention that I'm, I just want to share with you. Um, and so I'm going to do that. As we enter into this year of awakening, here's the thought. We are all active participants in this game of life. Every one of us is in this game of life, and we wake up each morning aware that success is out there somewhere, right? And so we attempt to make the most of each day, to, to win the day. We try to do it right, and we also, in the back of our minds, somewhere, depending on who you are, you have this awareness that there's going to come a day for all of us when we're going to breathe our last in this life, and we're going to wake up. And perhaps we'll be surrounded by bright lights and lots of people <laughs> and, uh, you know, standing around us. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to go, you know, when that day comes. But uh, let's just go with that for now. People all around you in bright lights. And there's going to be one question on our mind. One question, one question only. And here's the question. What is it? Did we win? Did we win? What we're asking is, did we get it right? Did we do enough? Did we win the game of life? Isn't that such a profound question? Years ago in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, anybody ever read that one? Yeah, a few of you? All right, the rest of you probably should. Um, uh, Stephen Covey, it's a, it's a great book. Um, and he, ch he challenged people, one of, one of the principles, one of the seven habits is this, begin with the end in mind. Very famous principle. Begin with the end in mind. And the premise is this. If you figure out what you want to do, what you want it to be like at the end, it will give you all that you need to know what to do now. It will inform today, right, that the goal then should dictate our actions now. Begin with the end in mind. Don't just 
wing it and go along the way, but, but be on purpose. Begin with the end in mind. That a, a critical component of winning is clarity about the goal. And it was implied in the doctor's response, right? They didn't answer his question, or at least not the question he was asking, right? He was talking about a football game. They're talking about his life. It's important to clarify the goal. Did you win? I mean, yes, but not in the way you think. <laughs> you won. So let me ask you, do you know what the goal is? When you come to the end of your days on this earth and wake up in eternity, will you have won? It doesn't, I mean, it, it sounds like a pretty important question. <laughs> it sounds like a question that we should probably all know. But I wonder how often we sort of don't really think about it. Do we really consider the end? And the thing about it is that it's actually, it's an unanswerable question. Because we're trying to know now what will happen then. We're trying to answer today what's going to happen. And, and again, we can talk all about the statistics about how good we are at predicting the future. Just start with the weathermen, right? Uh, then we can go on to the economists <laughs> and the scientists. <laughs> we can keep going if you'd like. We want to know if what we're doing now is what it's going to take to win then. Right? We can ask the question all we want, but we're not going to get an answer until it's decided. Right? We understand this. We can only know for sure that we've won when? When it's over. When it's over. Life is full of stories that looked like they were over, yet some twist, some change, some circumstances happened that reversed the outcome at the very last moment, and that's not how we thought it was going to turn out. That's not what it looked like was going to happen. In the words of the brilliant American philosopher Lawrence Peter Berra. It ain't over till it's over, yogi. So where does that leave us? Do we have to wait for the end? Hope for the best? Is that what we do? Is that the best we can do? Just sort of wing it? Be like, oh, I really hope this works. Some really good news. With such a profound question in front of us, with so much on the line, we are beyond blessed to have the word of God available to us. Because God has not only told us what the goal is, but what we need to do to ensure that we win. Don't take my word for it, okay? It's not just me telling you this. Let's read what God prompted the Apostle Paul to write. So again, Romans chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is writing these words to the church in Rome. And he says this, we're going to pick it up in verse 17. So if you're in chapter 1, uh, again, verse 17, and this is what he says. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. And over the next few chapters, Paul breaks down the idea that the way to win in this life is not through human effort. But through faith, he continues this in chapter 3. If you want to skip over, chapter 3, verse 22. It says this, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this. Through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty 
for our sins. If I could summarize this in the translation according to Dan right here, and nobody buys that one, it's okay. But here's my translation. We can't win life. We can't win life. You could do good for the rest of your life. You could give away everything you own. You could advocate and fight for the helpless. You could try to be the most perfect person ever, and it would still not be enough to win. But Jesus did win. He did what we couldn't do, and here's the best part. He wants to share his victory. Winning is only possible by grace. It's a gift that Jesus gives us. If I could take some license with the text, I would rephrase Paul's words just for us today like this. We win by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. For everyone has sinned, we are all destined to lose because we fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely declares us winners. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. See, the concept that Jesus is the key to winning, there's a theological term for this, and we call it salvation. That's what it means. And salvation means what you think it means, (laughs) that someone is saved from something bad and instead receives something good. See, Jesus is the Savior, and we are the saved And that's what it means for salvation to be a thing. We deserve losing. We've all done things that are wrong and demand restitution. We owe. We owe both God. We owe people. And yet Jesus, because he gave his life in our place, says you get to win. He saved us from losing and declares us winners. But here's the thing about salvation. It's really an interesting dynamic, which makes it a little complex sometimes, is that it's a now, not yet fully reality. It is both a now thing, but also a not yet fully thing. See, it's done. Jesus did all that was needed for us to receive salvation. There's nothing else that has to happen. Nobody else has to do anything, jump through any hoops, do anything else to make sure that you and I win. We get to win. But we aren't living in the fullness of that salvation because we're still here. Right? So it's not yet fully. We're saved because it has been done for us, yet the day of salvation has not yet come. Do you understand? Like I said, it's a little bit of a, of, of a mental, you have, we have to understand how this works. The day that, that salvation fully takes effect has not yet come. That day will happen the day we breathe our last. That's the day salvation becomes fully realized. One day we're going to close our eyes here and awaken in eternity, and that day will be the day that Jesus steps forward and announces that we have won the game of life. That's the day. That's what salvation means. It means that it's a promise now, but it's something we can have confident hope in, but it's not yet fully until that day. So it's a promise for us. We can be confident in it, but it's not yet fully. Paul shows us this later in Romans chapter 13. He says this. This is all the more urgent. He's talking about all these things about faith, faith, faith. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. He says, time is running out. Then these words, which are relevant for us, wake up. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will what? Soon be here. It's not here yet. It will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. This is written after Jesus has lived, after he has died, after he's been resurrected, after he's ascended to heaven. There's nothing else that needs to happen here. 
and yet we're being told salvation, the day is almost here. It's not here yet. Wait, Jesus did that. Yes, but it's not here yet because salvation is a now but not yet fully. He says that day is coming closer and closer and closer. And for us, as we stand here, 2023, a year of awakening, and you hear this wake up, and you go, oh, does that, does, does that mean what I think it means? Now, I'm not going to say that Jesus is going to return today or tomorrow or sometime this year, but I'm also not saying that he's not. <laughs> Nobody knows. Nobody knows. But here's what we do know. Every day that passes, you are one day closer to either the day Jesus returns or to the day you finish your journey. Every day that passes, you are one day closer to your day of salvation, however that comes. We're being told, wake up. Wake up. Your day is getting closer and closer and closer. You don't know when it will happen. That also means that every day that passes is one day less for people who have yet to receive Jesus. To awaken to the loving salvation Jesus offers everyone one less opportunity for them to hear and to receive. So what? So what do we do with that understanding? What do we do with this information? What difference does it make here and now? I mean, really, it's Saturday night. I'm kind of tired and football's on. Like, can we just hurry this up? We believe this is the year of awakening, that God has told us it's time to get up, that something important is happening, and it's time to put our faith in action. Here's the thing. If we want to win, it's not about trying harder. We just need to activate our faith. That's what it's time for. Do you really believe in Jesus? It's time to go all in. And what does that mean? What does it mean to really put our faith in action? I had a mentor of mine who started a church in Pennsylvania many years ago. And he's the one who taught me about core values and all that kind of stuff. You know, people primarily were better together, you know, all that good stuff. And one of their church's core values was family first. And he said, you know, after a couple of years, he realized, no, it isn't. So it sounds really good. We should absolutely value our families, but family is not first. He said, we need to search ourselves. Is that winning? Is it winning if I gain my family but abandon my Savior? Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things. And then everything else will be added unto you. What does it profit a man to gain the world but lose his soul? No, family's not first. It can be second. It can be third. It can be somewhere. You know, you got to figure that out. But it ain't first. So what does it mean to activate our faith? We need to search ourselves and say, what does winning look like in my life? Not just what I'm saying, but what am I living Examine our values. Are we pursuing financial security? Is that winning? Am I pursuing pleasure? Am I pursuing experiences? Am I pursuing approval? What is it that I am pursuing? What have I decided that winning looks like in my life? What would those who know us best say we think winning is? 
saying our faith is in the promise of salvation, that doesn't mean we, that doesn't mean we stop working or we stop trying or we stop enjoying things. It's not what we're talking about here. It simply means we refuse to set anything else above the hope of Jesus. That salvation is it. Matters more than anything else. Everything else is below that. It's where the rubber hits the road. What makes our decisions for us. If I have to choose between tithing and saving this month, what am I saying about who my faith is in? If I have to choose between doing what I want and doing what I know is right, what or who am I saying my faith is in? It's time to remove the dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. We'll talk about that one more next week. But it's important to acknowledge in some sense here that this element of putting all our faith in Jesus, all our faith in salvation as the, the ultimate pinnacle of winning, there's some risk in that. We have to acknowledge it, that there's risk in that. Because what if Jesus isn't the way to win? What if we're wrong? Because that concern and that doubt is valid. Because the truth is, we are saying everything absolutely hinges on Jesus. If he is who he says he is, then he's the only way we win. And if he's not, then we've been misled. It all comes down to what and who you accept as trustworthy. This is really it. We're getting to something very, very fundamental here about faith. Do you really believe it? God has told us plainly, if you want to win, you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to trust that that is winning. You cannot know for sure. You cannot know today what that's going to look like. But you've got to take my word for it. What's the scripture of all scriptures? The most repeated scripture in the world. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, what? Believes, trusts, puts their faith in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That whoever trusts me, you win. It all comes down to this. Do you believe it? It can be hard to believe in a world where so many people believe winning means something else. We're surrounded by people who are just as convinced that they know what winning is. And here's the thing. It's ironic. But they can't answer any more confidently than we can about what's actually going to be the mark of winning. We'll all know when it's over. <laughs> But until that day, here's the irony, we're all operating in faith. The only differentiator is what is your faith in or who is your faith in. If you say it's all in pleasure, it's all in wealth, it's all in approval, it's all in this, if whatever you say it is, you can say it as confidently as you want, but at the end of the day, you're just saying it in faith because nobody knows until it's over. This is why God is calling his church to wake up. Because our world is desperate to win. And they're chasing everything and anything that promises them victory. 
And we're in this together. We're in this together. And God has said, hey, listen, it's not just enough for you to win. The goal isn't for you to win and everybody else, well, hey, tough, tough luck. The measure of success is that as many people as possible hear and receive the gracious salvation of Jesus Christ. The Mars question was not, did I win? But he said, did we win? And I think that's another piece there. Salvation is corporate. For God so loved the world. Everybody. The heart of the Father is for all of us to win. All of us. There is something so fulfilling in knowing we get to win together. Here's the thing. It changes everybody out there. We are no longer in competition with everybody else. The goal is not for me to win so you can lose. It's not a zero-sum world where if you win, I lose. It doesn't work that way. God says, I want everybody to win. Everybody. We all get to win together. Instead of being competitors, we're all teammates. We're family. We're on the same side. The heart of God is that we would see and recognize that true victory is corporate. It's communal. There is no, I can't win if you don't. We've got to win together. We win when we all win. And those who have received the good news who have encountered the Savior and who live with the confident hope of salvation, when we, as the church, wake up, we get to be the blessing God promised we would be. And we get to help our brothers and our sisters, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our bosses, the people we don't even like, <laughs> the people that annoy us and irritate us and cut us off, the people that just can't stop posting on Facebook and you're like, seriously enough, the people that you just can't stand them, guess what? When we wake up, we get to fight for their victory because winning is communal. It's the ultimate victory. So here's my very simple challenge for this week. Let's make it very practical. I'm going to give you one suggestion. You can do way beyond that. But here's one thought for this week. Very simply, pray for three people by name that they would win eternal life. This week, ask God, put specific people on your heart, and I'm going to guess he's going to put some difficult people in your mind already. You're like, it's the last person I want to pray for. That's the idea. That's sort of the goal here. It's easy to pray for people that we like. You're going to do that anyway. So God, put people on my heart because God, help me to understand that the only way we win is when everybody wins. Give me a heart of compassion like you had for everybody. So here's the very hard prayer, ready? You should write this down. God, help us all win. Very, very, yeah, you probably, probably need to write it down um, so you don't forget it. Five words, God, Help us all win. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We're going to close with that, with that song. Um, I will build my life. That part in there in particular. But the prayer is this. God, would you continue to awaken our hearts that this is what 
winning looks like. Did we win? God has said, winning looks like what Jesus has done for us. I won already. So we stand in the now but not yet tension of salvation. We are saved, yes. It's not fully done, no. That's where faith comes in. Activates that faith. God, help the whole world to see the salvation that you offer. Would everybody know how good you are? Mm. How good is God, right? How good is God? He wins for us. It says here, you don't deserve it, but I love you too much. Just pass it on. Let everybody know.